Well, we are in week two of this series called Choose Wisely as we study together the book of Proverbs. And I have so enjoyed engaging in this Bible reading plan together. I hope that you have too. There's something powerful about all of us as a body being unified around God's word. And if you haven't joined that reading plan yet, it's not too late. You can jump in right now. Look for LifePoint Church on the YouVersion app. Follow us. The plan is right there. It's a chapter a day. It takes about five to 10 minutes. So it's a great thing to add to your personal devotional time. And it's incredibly helpful because it's all about wisdom. We need wisdom, right? And wisdom in the context of the book of Proverbs means skilled living. Who wants to be good at life? I think we all want to be good at life. Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give us life to the full. And the life that Jesus came to give us is rooted and established in divine wisdom. Last week, we had the privilege of having Pastor Josh Surratt with us from Seacoast Church to kick the series off, and he taught us how to guard our hearts. If you didn't catch that message, I encourage you to go back and watch it. He told us how to control our tongue, how to fix our eyes on Jesus, how to watch our steps, all things critical to protecting our innermost being, right? Because out of the heart, what? Everything else flows. So theoretically, we all want wisdom because we all want to avoid heartache. We all want to avoid pain. We want to avoid regret. We want to avoid foolish mistakes. We want to avoid the traps that the enemy of our soul sets for us. And yes, the enemy of your soul is setting traps for you, which is why it is critical we understand where wisdom comes from and how it is that we walk in it. How many of you have ever said, if I only knew then what I know now? If you're over the age of 25, you've probably said that at some point. And why do we say that? What do we mean when we say that? Usually we say that because we've learned a lesson the hard way, right? We've learned a painful lesson, or maybe by the grace of God, you were able to avoid the consequence of a decision that you made. But in hindsight, you look back and realize that decision was incredibly risky and you never should have made it. My 36-year-old self looks back on the decisions my 20-year-old self made, And I'm thankful to Jesus that I have lived to tell the tale, right? And so parents, to all the parents in the room, what do we do? We try our best to impart wisdom into our children through the lessons that we have learned so that we can, they can avoid the pain of the experience. And this is what the book of Proverbs offers us. In some of the book, we're actually reading in on a letter from King Solomon to his son for this very reason. 31 chapters pleading with us, begging us to feast at the table of wisdom instead of the table of foolishness. Wisdom throughout the book is personified as a woman. And in chapter nine, she is crying out in the streets, begging for anyone to listen to her, to listen to her. Wisdom, Proverbs is full of warnings. It's full of principles to lead us away from death, to lead us away from regret, to lead us away from sin and into life should we choose to live by them. But just like our children, we have a choice to make. We must choose, right? And wisdom is not knowing the right thing to do. Wisdom is actually doing it. Wisdom is applying the truth that we know right? How many of you have read a self-help book sometime this year? No shame. I enjoy a good self-help book every once in a while. They can be pretty informative. 
In 2023, self-help book sales are expected to net over $13 billion in revenue. It is an industry on the rise because more and more people are desperately looking for ways to improve their lives. And ironically, statistics are trending in the wrong direction. Our society is suffering regarding emo emotional and mental health and well-being. So not to come down in any particular industry, but there's a fundamental problem with self-help. And that is the self. In the words of Taylor Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Because when you're drowning, yourself is no help. When the problem comes from deep within, yourself is no help. We can't self-help our way into wisdom. We can't willpower our way into wisdom. Wisdom and the ability to walk in it comes from God alone. So if we are to choose wisdom, if we are to walk in wisdom, there is a very specific door we must enter through. There is a gateway to wisdom. There is an entry point to wisdom. Do you want to know what that is? Good, because we're going to spend the next 27 minutes talking about it. <laughs> Proverbs 9, 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The foundation of wisdom is the fear of God. And church, we have lost our footing if we have lost our fear of the Lord. Proverbs tells us that it is impossible for us to be wise without this foundation holding up this whole structure. So if we desire wisdom, if we desire to walk in wisdom, it is critical that we understand what the fear of God is and what it produces in our lives. The fear of God is not the same thing as being afraid of God. Maybe you grew up in a religious system or structure that used fear to control or to manipulate you. And what that actually produced in your life is insecurity in your relationship with God, maybe even anger. So you don't run to him, you run from him. This is not what God desires for you in relationship. In fact, quite the opposite. He desires intimacy with you. The best translation of that word fear in this context is to have a deep reverence and awe in recognition of God's holiness, God's power, and God's authority. You and I should have a healthy fear in relation to the power that someone or something possesses. You and I should have a healthy fear of gravity. And I know that you do because you have not yet tested it by walking off the edge of a cliff. You and I should have a healthy fear of fire. Fire is powerful. Fire is useful. Fire can do incredible things when used properly. When used improperly, that same fire that illuminates your path will completely consume you. There are laws built into the fabric of our universe that we have learned to revere in order that we stay alive. And the same is true with the spiritual fabric of the universe. Proverbs 3.19 says, By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. And living wisely is a living according to the principles, according to the laws that God has established. Not my principles, not my perspective, not my opinion, not my preference, not my truth. 
It would be unwise for me to insist that fire is not hot and then jump into a blazing furnace. Because what I want to believe about fire, what I insist is true about fire, does not change the nature of fire or the fact that it will consume me. And the fear of God is saying that God is holy and I am not, that God is creator and I am not, that God is the truth and I am not. And we can either reject that reality in rebellion or we can submit to that fact in reverence. John Bevere says it this way. He says, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It is the fear of being without him. The fear of being without him. To be wise, I must first recognize the disparity between myself and a holy, holy, holy God. This properly positions me in the relationship so that I don't find myself self-sufficient, so that I don't find myself going out ahead of him or without him. Because when I go on ahead of God or without God, I start assuming authority that does not belong to me. And that gets me into trouble very quickly or eventually. Proverbs 14, 16 says, the wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. Feels secure. That word hot-headed in the Hebrew is the word abar. It means to march ahead of. In a military context, it means to march ahead of the one in command. It is dangerous to defy command because of the harm it could cause others. And it, it is dangerous to defy command because of the personal consequences of doing so. In the sanctuary of the tabernacle in the Old Testament was the Holy of Holies. It's where God's manifest presence would dwell. And it was so sacred. Only the high priest could enter that place once a year to make atonement for the people's sins. And only after a rigorous cleansing ritual. And he had bells attached to the bottom of his garment. He would tie a rope around his ankle in the case that he entered the presence of a very holy God and fell down dead. The people would be able to drag him out. Jesus Christ, the unblemished one, the holy lamb of God, paid for the atonement of our sins on the cross once and for all. And when he did that, that veil separating the people from the holy of holies was torn in two. And we were given the manifest presence of God in the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as his temple. The spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of love, the spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the seal of our salvation, but he is no less holy just because he's accessible does not make him common and when we treat the spirit of God as common we walk with a false sense of security Proverbs tells us pride comes before the fall and this is heartbreaking and none of us are beyond this but this is why we see pastors and church leaders and mature believers fall it's not often because we stop loving Jesus it's not often because we stop feeling sentimental about Jesus. We fall when we stop fearing God and we start using him. We fall when we start abusing the grace that Jesus Christ purchased with his body and with his blood. We fall when we start lining our pockets with his glory. We fall when we stop falling to our knees in repentance. 
As we mature in our love for Jesus, we should become more and more dependent upon him, not more independent of him. Luke chapter six, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You have a motivation problem, he says. You do not apply wisdom. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. This is the fear of the Lord, a firm foundation. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, without the fear of the Lord. The moment that torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The wise man, the wise woman does what Jesus says. Without the fear of God, we have no reason to obey. We lose all urgency. The word of God becomes another opinion or another option among many, but we don't submit to it. Jesus Christ is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is the best friend you will ever have. Scripture promises us he will never leave us nor forsake us, but he is also the king of kings before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And we will be glad we bow the knee now before his power is revealed. It is the fear of God that keeps our mouths from slander. It is the fear of God that keeps our hearts from bitter envy. It is the fear of God that empowers us to forgive. It is the fear of God that keeps us faithful to the covenant of our marriage. It is the fear of God that keeps us from idolatry. It is the fear of God that keeps us falling to our knees in repentance before the one who is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. It is the fear of God that keeps us in pursuit of wisdom. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The hatred of evil. Proverbs 4.6 says, hold on to wisdom and it will take care of you. Love it and it will keep you safe. The fear of the Lord keeps me loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates. We might be asking, well, I thought God was love. How could God hate? Because God is love, God must hate. Because what does God love? God loves all people. He loves all people. He hates that which destroys them. So much so he paid the price for our sins on the cross so that he could redeem that which he loves. So we have to ask ourselves very seriously, do we hate sin in our lives or do we tolerate it? Because we are living in a world where evil is being called good and good is being called evil. We are living in a world that is full of deception and full of lies and full of slander and full of foolishness because there is no fear of God, but let it not be so of us, church. If we want to live well, and I believe that we do, we need a firm foundation in the fear of God so that it may produce in us that which we need in order to live wisely. And the first thing the fear of God produces in us is humility. Humility. We often say that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis actually first said that. And that's true. It's also thinking of yourself within context. 
There's nothing that will humble us faster than meditating on the holiness of God. There is nothing that will humble us like entering the presence of a holy God. Language fails us in describing what God is like. Scripture often talks about him as an all-consuming fire. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush, though the bush did not burn because fire, as we know, it needs a fuel source. But God himself needs no source because he is the source. He is the I am. He said, Moses, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Jesus in the book of Revelation is described as having eyes of blazing fire. The disciples in the upper room when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit were baptized as in tongues of blazing fire, the fire of God. The holiness of God illuminates our sin and it consumes our ego, it consumes our pride, it consumes our apathy, and it enables us to live beyond our own capacity. Therefore, we go low in his presence. We go low in his presence. Proverbs 3, 7 says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. To be humble is to be submitted. To be humble is to do things God's way instead of our own. Even when we disagree, even when we don't understand, we say, God, your ways are above my ways and I trust you more than I trust me. When I'm acting a fool, I'll let you a little bit on the inside of my own sinful nature. When I'm being a hothead, as Proverbs mentioned, it's usually because I'm being reactionary. When I'm going out ahead of the Lord, it's usually in response to a person or to a situation. Anybody here ever been triggered before? There is healing and confession. Thank you for not leaving me alone in the house of God. That word triggered is a very popular word in our culture today. It means we have an automatic reaction when confronted with past pain, often trauma. It means we're reliving a past experience in the present moment and it often elicits a visceral emotional reaction. And our world is very, very comfortable with people automatically reacting. We're getting triggered all over the internet. We're a triggered nation. People are getting canceled. We're a triggered church. We're triggered Christians. And one time when I was in prayer, I was confessing to the Lord that I felt triggered by a situation and the Holy Spirit ever so gently said to me, let me help you with that. The word is tempted. He said, you are being tempted to sin. Though being triggered is a very real experience, it's a word we've often used to justify bad behavior. We've come to feel justified in a sinful response to offense. We have come to feel justified in a sinful response to pain. Proverbs 29, 11 says that a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If that is not a word of wisdom for anybody else in the house of God today, it is a word for me. Offense does not entitle us to withhold forgiveness. Being offended, being justified in our anger does not entitle us to respond however it is that we please. No, wisdom is doing what the scripture says and going to the person who has offended you in assertiveness and love. And if they do not listen, bringing two or more with you. That's the book of Matthew chapter 18. But when we do things God's way, this is the beautiful part. It actually opens the door to healing. You know, Jesus Christ already purchased our healing on the cross with his own wounds. We as believers,
believers have healing available to us that we may transcend offense, not live in it. Wisdom is an invitation to healing. But all too often we reject wisdom so that we can persist in our pain. We would actually rather persist in our pain because of the pride in our hearts. The fear of God is saying that no matter what I am facing, I am going to do things God's way. I'm going to walk it out with the Lord. Therefore, I reject aggression. I reject passive aggression. I reject manipulation. And I'm going to do things God's way. Here are three solid reasons why we need humility in order to walk in wisdom. These are not all encompassing, but hopefully they're helpful to us this morning. And the first and probably most important reason is that we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Jeremiah 79 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, you have a conscious, a subconscious, and an unconscious mind. Our daily decisions are being informed by storehouses of data and motives that we're not even aware of and cannot even access. We desperately need a third party who is the Holy Spirit revealing us to ourselves and showing us how to live. Psalm 139, King David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit can show us ourselves. He can show us things about ourselves that we know and he can shine the light of his perspective on it. And he can show us things about ourselves that we don't know. And it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Another reason why we need humility in order to walk in wisdom is because we are imperfect. We make genuine mistakes. I am a mistake maker, well-intentioned, but I make mistakes nonetheless. My husband and I were driving back from vacation together. It was meant to be an eight-hour drive. We had our two kids with us. And we were about two and a half hours out. We switched drivers. I get behind the wheel, we recalibrate the GPS. We're cruising along. We're about 20 minutes from home. And uh, I look over and I see a sign to the aquarium. I'm like, that's funny. We don't have an aquarium 20 minutes from our house. So I pull into a gas station I don't recognize. And to my horror, I realize we are 20 minutes from our exact address in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, not Spotsylvania, Virginia. Yeah, you feel my pain. I was deeply humbled by that mistake. I was even more humbled by my husband's gracious response to that mistake because I knew full well I would not have been so kind. <laughs> even with a GPS, we get lost. Even with experience, we get lost. No matter how good we are, no matter how good we think we are for this thing called life, we are not enough. We need a perfect guide who is the Holy Spirit to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Another reason we need humility is because we don't know the future. We don't know what lies around the corner. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. James teaches us to say, pastor just taught us a few weeks ago that the scripture says, if the Lord is willing, we will do this or that. If the Lord is willing. 
The fear of God acknowledges that, that we don't know the day or the hour that we will stand before the Lord to give account for our lives. The fear of God is saying there is nothing that we can do to add a single hour to our life. Therefore, we choose wisdom and we choose it today. And while the fear of God produces humility in us that we may choose wisdom, it also produces courage. It produces courage. Humility is saying, I need wisdom. Courage is saying, I will do wisdom. I will pay the price for wisdom. I will walk in wisdom come hell or high water. And I wanna show you how the fear of God actually makes us fearless. And I wanna look at the book of Mark chapter four. Jesus has been teaching a large crowd by the Sea of Galilee all day. He's probably very exhausted. In verse 35, it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Jesus had a reason to cross that lake. Leaving the crowd behind him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. How confusing that must have been to the disciples who are panicking for their lives and Jesus is very comfortable. Says the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That seems like a reasonable question considering. Says he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When the storm came upon them, it almost overcame them. And it's important to note two things. One, that they feared the storm and two, what that fear produced in them. The fear of the storm caused them to question Jesus's love for them. The fear of the storm caused them to question the very essence of who Jesus is. They said, don't you even care? Don't you care? I empathize with that question. I identify with it. Maybe you do too. Because when the storms in our lives come upon us and the tide begins to rise and the waves begin to crash over us and we get the sinking feeling that we might not make it out of this alive, we are very tempted to doubt. We ask Jesus questions like, don't you see me? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see what I'm facing? Are you good? Are you powerful? Are you there? Are you gonna forever sleep on my need? Because the fear of the storm actually calls our faith into question. When we fear the storm, our faith becomes unstable. This is why Jesus says that we need a firm foundation in him because without a firm foundation, when the storm comes, the house collapses. So he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think the question Jesus is asking beneath the question is, do you not yet know me? Don't you know me? It says he rebukes the storm and it stops. And this is the moment we see the transfer happen. We watch this switch happen right here on the pages before our eyes. The word says that the disciples terrified asked each other, who is this? When they came face to face with Jesus's authority, when they came face to face with Jesus's power, they no longer feared the storm, they feared him. 
They no longer feared the thing that would harm them. They feared the one who would save them, the one who was greater than the storm. And this is the fear of God, that we would come face to face with his power and face to face with his love. The scripture says when they reach the other side, because Jesus said they were going to the other side. When Jesus says you're going to reach the other side, you're going to reach the other side. They were met there by a man that was demon possessed, a man filled with demons. And the demons cry out from within the man to Jesus, begging him to have mercy on them. Because the demons know his power, the demons know his authority, and they shudder in his presence, but they are afraid of God because they have rejected God and therefore stand condemned. So Jesus casts those demons into a herd of pigs. They run off the edge of a cliff and are drowned in the very sea that Jesus just rebuked. Now, scripture doesn't explicitly say this. This is conjecture. But I do wonder if the enemy did not send that storm himself upon that ship because he stood there on the shore and saw Jesus headed his direction on a mission to release a man from his grip. Because Jesus dealt with that storm the same way he deals with the devil. He rebuked them. The enemy will send storms into your life when he sees you coming his way because of whose authority that you carry. And if he can get you to fear the storm, and if he can get you to fear man, and if he can get you to fear him instead of the one who has power over him, he can sink the ship. Because when we fear anything but God, we begin to act foolishly. And this is where we abandon wisdom. Because whatever we fear, we serve. Whatever we fear, we serve. If we fear man, we will serve man. We will bow to man. We will live for man's approval. If we fear money, we will serve money. We will make an idol out of money. If we fear power, we will serve power by trying to acquire power. If we fear the enemy, we will serve the enemy because we will be complicit with the enemy because we won't defy the enemy and we won't take authority over the enemy. But if we fear God, if we fear the one who commands the storms in our lives, the one who casts demons into pigs, the one who has freed us from the snare of sin and death, the one who has authority over every principality and demon in hell and power of darkness, who gives us the Holy Spirit to have authority over them in the same way, then we have nothing to fear. We don't relent. We don't back down. We don't give up though we are tempted, though we are tested, though we are tried, though we stumble, we rise, we remain, we persevere because we are firmly planted in Jesus. Proverbs 14, 26 says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children, it will be a refuge. For their children, the fear of God is a generational gift for our children to run into for security in a world filled with anxiety. And our children desperately need the gift of the fear of God in a world that is afraid of everything but him because it's worshiping a God made in its own image. And this generation is being pummeled with the lies of the enemy. And it desperately needs a church who is wide awake to wisdom, wide awake to the truth, abiding in Christ and paying the price. 
Proverbs 4, 7 says, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Wisdom is costly. Wisdom is expensive. Wisdom will cost you your ego. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you your sin. It'll cost you relationships. It might cost you your reputation in the eyes of the world. It will require courage. It will require humility. But what we gain is so much greater than what we give because when we come face to face with God's power, when we come face to face with God's love, what we gain is Jesus himself. We gain oneness with Jesus. We gain intimacy with Jesus. Psalm 25 says the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The God of the universe wants to confide in you. He wants to tell you the secrets of his heart like a trusted friend. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 1.17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What the world needs is a church who has seen him and who honors him. Humble, unafraid, with understanding not of this world, consecrated, holy, set apart, anointed, powerful, convicted, having the mind of Christ. When I imagine of what the fear of the Lord looks like in relationship with Jesus, I think of the woman from the book of Luke chapter seven. Jesus is dining at a Pharisee's house among the religious elite because Jesus loves to mess with religious people. And this woman comes into the house, she's, un she's not invited. She begins to pour perfume out on Jesus' feet. She begins to weep over his feet, wetting them with her tears. She dries them with her hair. From the moment she entered his house, she did not stop kissing him. And scripture tells us that this woman was known as a sinner. She had the reputation of being a sinner, so she probably did not have a reputable lifestyle. And though she was not welcome in that home, that didn't stop her from entering. Though she wasn't supposed to touch Jesus, that didn't stop her from touching him. What she did was inappropriate. Culturally, religiously, socially, she had no shame. There was no intimidation in her. She had no fear of man. Her posture before Jesus was one of humility. She was low on her face before him. What she poured out over him was costly. The perfume was costly, though it cost her nothing in comparison with what she gained in him, what she found in him. In him, she found freedom. She found forgiveness. She found love. She found life itself. And this is the fear of God that we would become so consumed with him that there is nothing else. And this leads us into a life of submission. It leads us into a life of worship. It leads us into a life of wisdom because we serve whom we fear. Though it cost us everything, church, may we get wisdom. Because wisdom is not the prize. A virtuous life is not the prize. The prize of wisdom is Jesus. The prize of wisdom is oneness with Jesus. The prize of wisdom is the author of wisdom, 
Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected and coming again. This is the wisdom of God. And in him we have everything we need. Our approval, our righteousness, our ransom from sin. And I want to leave you with this scripture this morning. Ephesians 5. Again, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. But it's also a word for us today. It says, wake up sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Wisdom is an invitation crying out in the street to anyone who will listen. The fear of God is an invitation. Jesus himself stands as an invitation into the life he has called us to. May we welcome him in. Do you receive it, church? Do you receive it? Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that transforms us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us, God. So I just pray right now that you would put your finger on anything in us that is out of alignment with your will, with your purpose, with your heart, Jesus, and that we would be realigned with your heart, God. I pray, Jesus, wherever we have fallen asleep or become complacent, God, that you would reawaken in us whatever is sleeping, fire of God, fall on us, that we may return to our first love, And Jesus, I pray for your children under the sound of my voice who have been tormented by a spirit of fear. God, I pray that you would break that off of them in the name of Jesus. For you have not given your children a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So we break the stronghold of the enemy through the word of God. God, I pray that you would put a sword in the mouth of your children, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of truth, to speak truth and to silence the enemy in Jesus' name. God, and I pray for those who have not yet placed their faith in you who would like to do that right now in this moment. I wanna ask anybody in this room or under the sound of my voice who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus and who would like to do that now to please raise your hands. Lift them up. Lift them up. Scripture tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the saving power of Jesus Christ. So the fact that you are placing your faith in Jesus is the work of the Spirit in you. This is not the end of the road, it is the beginning. It is your faith that saves you. But I would like to lead you in a prayer because Scripture tells us that If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So for the sake of those praying this prayer for the first time, I'm gonna ask everybody to pray this prayer with me together. Say, Father, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus, I invite you now to be Lord of my life. I submit to you. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for God's word?
Thanks for joining us for today's message. Feel free to rate, review, and share with a friend. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or partner with us financially, visit lifepoint.org or download the LifePoint app. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. See you soon.